0: Hello and welcome to the Men Chasing Christ podcast. We'll be discussing how to set goals, pursue excellence, become a better high value man. I'll be sharing my testimony, the testimony of men in my lives and the various seasons they're in. We'll talk about how to attract, vet, and retain high value women. We'll be discussing how to heal and release hurts and bondage that keep us from being the best possible ass. We'll talk a little bit about biblical masculinity studying men of the Bible, such as Adam, Jacob, Samson, Jeremiah. Matthew, Philip, and Timothy, and especially Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate man. So whether you're looking to strictly get some devotional material, fix a few problem behaviors that you've recognized within yourself, or just figure out how could I do a little better, this would be the right spot for you guys. I'm by no means an expert in doing everything right, but I did everything wrong so you guys don't have to. (laughs) We can learn from my mistakes, we can talk about how I'm doing things now and why I made the changes I did, and ultimately the goal is to lead fellow men to Christ, help them become stronger leaders both for themselves and for those around them. So we can go from being the main root cause of the majority of the world's problems to blessings that bring safety and peace everywhere we go. Just like to start us off with a little prayer here first. Dear Father God, holy is your name. Let like to pray for all the people and all the men listening to this podcast right now. Pray for healing over their bodies, their minds and their souls. That any circumstances that are difficult, or not ideal would change for them, and open, and yield to them. That if they're living with fear, or anxiety, or any type of major internal challenge, that that would dissipate in the name of Jesus Christ. I'd like to pray that there'd be breakthrough within these people, within these men, and within their lives. And the people around them. We like to pray for that today. I'd like to pray miracles over every aspect of their life in Jesus Christ's name. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would come in and fill us over full so that we can pour out unto others the grace, the love, and the peace that surpasses understanding that you pour onto us, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We'll start off a little bit about who I am and why you'd bother listening to me. So my testimony is that I grew up with Christ. My mom, my dad, they, from a young age, taught me how to pray. And taught me the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Primarily, my earlier memories uh, were going to Catholic churches. Those with my grandma. They'd have a lot of brunches uh, downstairs after the service. I always, I mean, obviously as a kid, I always found I was more checked out. Sit up, sit down, hummity hum hum. But uh, my parents really, really tried and really fostered deep relationship and it it did stick it did make a difference I did find myself even as a child uh, praying in bed and you know trying to assemble what what I thought a connection with God was that being said I I grew up a pretty troubled kid I was quite a bad kid I became an even worse teenager and although I desperately wanted to change more I became a man I didn't have the tools resources or the plan or execution on how to do so So I kind of remained a pretty poor adult. I struggled with um, dishonesty, pornography, adultery, not in the traditional sense, but in ways that I thought it didn't apply. Fighting and by extension hurting people for the wrong reasons. Mostly to be accepted, to be viewed as tough and to fit in. Definitely drank way too much, but other than that, substance abuse wasn't something I struggled with, uh, thankfully. I think worst of all, theft being loaned money not paying it back taking people for granted using the kindness that people had given me and making them regret it um, because I would only focus on how it affected me and not if I didn't uphold my end how could it possibly affect that person so extremely selfish um, self-centered behavior that was destructive I figured out way too late in life how to start doing some of those things how to defeat patterns, which is a lot of what we do, good and bad. Um, they say history repeats itself. That's because history is a pattern. So for me, it was, you know, living very selfishly, very um, justifiable, very simple, because if I look too hard into the things I did, I'd have a real problem with myself. Now, my uh, father passed away in 2017. And while you think this would instantaneously fix any human being, it didn't for me. That was the start, so it all kind of s- stemmed from and trickled down from the passing of my father. He was diagnosed with uh, cancer in October 2017 end of November he had passed away so it was it was a pretty quick process, which was a little hard for me and my my family to deal with. I was twenty years old at the time um, I can't speak for anybody else in my family, but uh I know it was hard on everyone and I know that the things that I, I thought for sure I'd stop doing when my dad died, I didn't. So admittedly, I think it was March, 2020. That's when I decided enough is enough. I wasn't going to continue doing the things that made me feel horrible, that I didn't really understand why I was doing them. And I'd always really loved God. I just that was just such a disservice to him in our relationship. I felt, I felt a lot of shame for that. That shame created bondage. And the problem with that is bondage will keep you in the place you are. That's the point of chains. That's why they put handcuffs on you when they arrest you. It's so you can't just leave. And the enemy does this through shame. And they do this through bondage. I didn't know this at the time. I thought, I just keep doing bad things cause I'm a bad person. And I always will be. That was wrong. I was doing bad things because I was used to doing bad things and I didn't give myself a reason to do better. I didn't feel I deserved better. So March 2019, I'd ended a kind of tumultuous relationship that I had at the time and you know, I started I started getting into fitness, I started jogging. And it was in jogging I found that I could think more about myself and about God and what I wanted and I didn't audibly hear the spirit or hear God or anything like that I've never been that type of person but I definitely I definitely would say I got more gut feelings when I would uh go for a nice three or four or five kilometer jog and not even listen to music most times sometimes most times I wouldn't listen to music and I would just think and it's like my thoughts would give me deeper inclinations on what I should or want to do so as this happened, it really, really came onto my heart that I wanted to start going to church. I wanted to get a Bible and I want to start reading the word. And like, you know, not just talk about it. I used, I'm just one of these guys that I used to always just talk, talk, talk about what I would do and never do it. And I didn't want to do that anymore either. So eventually I got my own place in Red Deer, Alberta. And lo and behold, the Tenants upstairs were an awesome Christian couple, really nice people. And uh, they encouraged me. They'd kind of chip away at me like, oh, why don't you come to church? Oh, there's this event. And I started going to the events outside, which would be like people would gather around outside in like a campsite fashion, sit in chairs, bring their Bibles. They'd just talk and connect and kind of like shoot the stuff a little bit. Then they'd have like biblical discussion. But there was nothing structured. was nothing forced. And so, I'll never forget the first time I came because I came with my Bible, my new Bible, which was a gift. It was a MacArthur Study Bible. And it's it's been my rock ever since. But I I went and they'd ask me like how they think it salvation works and what I believed. And of course, what I believed, for the most part, made sense and aligned with what they believe, which is just quite simply what Jesus Christ on. So I started going to church. Started getting in the word. I didn't read the Bible every day. I didn't read it very long every day. At first, actually, it felt more like a chore. It felt like, oh man, like, am I going to enjoy this one day? And uh, I do know. That's the thing. If I never would have started, if I never would have gotten into the, how, how do I even interpret this stuff how do I apply it how do I understand it what what do these 18 paragraphs even say what are they trying to say to me I never looked at it that way I was just reading and hoping to catch something and a lot of the time more or less it's like I was reading a newspaper article like very very black and white very legalistic but what I didn't know is there's power in the word and when you're reading it's reading you it's the only book that reads you back As one of my favorite mentors likes to say, it it works on you and that's what you need. So even if you're reading for the sake of reading at the start, do that. Start there because that might be the only starting point for some people like myself. So after getting into this word, I noticed my heart started to change. I started to feel more clearly and intentional about wanting more more of a relationship with god more of a understanding of god more of a more of a path on how i can do better and, and not undo everything i did cuz that's impossible but never to do it again right how to never push relationships family and friends away in the ways that i had in the past and to try to become a man of integrity and a man of some kind of value before it's too late but most importantly To have a relationship with God and and to be saved. And while this is not in chronological order, it's important to know that I was married once before in uh, October 5th, 2013. That didn't work out. I was married to a non-believer, a person who, as it turns out, didn't want children and had committed adultery. And so that went way out the window real quick. I also believe I always knew from the start that it was just something I was doing because it was the next step. And I feel like a lot of people and a lot of men, especially get sucked into this trap of, but it's the next step. Is it? Then why does it feel so wrong? So keeping this in mind that I'd failed marriage, even though it wasn't all my fault, there's definitely factors that were. So I had this to bear in mind that I'd already failed this. I'd already failed friends and lost them. I'd failed family that really have no idea how I didn't push them away 100% yet. That's more of a, a character reference to them than it is anything else because, trust me, I deserve it. Um, I was left with all these things. And I said, I want to be a good brother. I want to be a good brother-in-law. I want to be a, a good uncle. I want to be a good son. I want to be a good husband and father. But it sounds a lot like from what I'm reading in the Bible, first, I got to be a good Christian. First, I have to be a good me. And that was the realization that I had. So born and raised Christian, absolute deviant, even though I had the love of God in my heart since the day that I can remember, as early as I can remember, I didn't act on it. I was also very controlling and didn't surrender control of my life. Wanted control my finances, what was dating, when I was dating them, what I was doing with them. I did lose my virginity at uh, a young age and was sexually active all the way up until I met my current partner. Um, So I was doing all the wrong things and wondering how I can stop this. Got into the word. The word told me it all starts with how much you can understand and love Jesus Christ. This marinated with me for a while. I definitely protested on that thought initially. And it wasn't actually until my comforts were taken away and that I had the opportunity to fully surrender. So during the COVID pandemic, I was told to take a vaccine that at the time I didn't, I didn't have enough information for to believe in. I didn't have enough understanding to want to put something that I didn't trust and understand in my body and my employers, given the position that they had to take because it was under a certain provincial medical field in Alberta told me that I either had to take the injections or lose my job. And keep in mind, me and my bosses loved each other. I had a great employment. It was a three-year employment, and I thought, oh, there's there's no way this is going to be an issue. Like, these guys are, my bosses were incredible. The clinical manager was, my supervisor was, all the staff were, all the clients were. This is a non-issue. And then it was. And I thought, I don't know what to do, but I know in my heart that I'm not ready to do this vaccine yet. Could be wrong. It could be right. But to me, it, it doesn't feel right. So I'm, I'm left with giving in to have comfort or standing up for what I believe in, which is a new thing that's been stirring in my heart since I got into the word, is not to just do the same old stuff and be the same old Logan that I was. So emotionally raw, exposed vulnerable, shaken up, kind of a precursor to a bunch of change. I'm sitting there like a bottle of nitroglycerin, just waiting for somebody to bump me. And now this happens. And I hit my knees and I cried and I prayed. And I said, God, I don't know what you'll have me do, where you'll have me do it. Or if I'll even get paid for what you're going to have me do or how much. But please give me a career that I can love. And I can thrive in. And please give me a woman that I can love and I can thrive with. If you will only do these two things for me and hopefully give me children. I will go anywhere you want and do anything you need. I surrender my finances to you. My love to you, my hopes, my dreams, and my fears. The things I want to change. The things I've done. The things I'm meant to do. I surrender all of that to you. I'm on my knees crying in my bedroom. And I kid you not. Not even a week later, I have the job that I have now. A week after that, I am at the woman that I have now that I will spend the rest of my life with. And while I haven't been 100% perfect since that moment, I've definitely been the total opposite. And I've never felt more called to be accountable because time and time again, even before this moment, God's provision came through and I'd always suspected it. I'm like... Mm, was that coincidence? It's pretty coincidental. Ah, it probably was. I made that happen. I was unable to give credit and gratitude for the fact that something very unlikely came my way and it was the provision of God. These things were unmistakably God's provision, and there's certain reasons why I tell you that. The job that I got, relevant as this may be, was with a union called CLAC, which stands for... The Christian Labor Association of Canada. My dream job might have been with one of the weakest um, unions out there. And it happened to be a Christian named one. That's a sign. Katie, the wonderful woman that I'm with now, was married before as well. Was married the same exact day as me. October 5th, 2013. She quit her job around the exact same time I did the exact same reason. Her son's birthday is the same exact birthday as my niece and her, I and her son are all asthmatics that are allergic to dogs. Those mathematically are far too many coincidences for that just to be some dumb luck. That's quite blatantly God's provision and things in my life have never been better. If you'd have told me who I'm with and what I'm doing back then, I would have laughed and said, no way. Um, yeah, God is good. Beyond good. I don't do it every day, but I read my Bible almost every morning. I pray to God nonstop many, many times throughout the day. I try to be a good, accountable man who knows that I'm being not only watched, but convicted to do better. And and there's a lot of power in that. It's not that you're being condemned to do good. You're being convicted to do good, just like a dad who wants the best for his son and there's some love and there's some power in that and it frees shame and it frees bondage which is what I was bound by my whole life. I go to church every Sunday that I'm off work. My work schedule is pretty challenging sometimes. And I'm one of the worship leaders at a small community church which I'm sure we will talk about at a later time. So the first topic I'd like to start off with was the study of Adam. Adam was the first man. Adam was not the best man. It says in Genesis, it describes that God started off creating man, then putting him in a place. So the place was the Garden of Eden, the places where Adam's purpose was. God had to put Adam in a place before he'd give him a purpose. Right after God made Adam from the dust, right after he breathed life into his very nostrils, right after he put him in a place, he immediately gave Adam a purpose. Keep that in mind. He created him already with a purpose in mind for him. He didn't leave him to wander alone in his thoughts, overthink, wander around, craving some kind of purpose for his life, wondering what the heck he's doing here. He gave him a purpose right away, to tend and keep the Garden of Eden. When God created you, he already had picked a purpose for you. He didn't make you and say, "Ah, this guy's one month old, I got time to figure it out yet. He already had that decided. He made you an intentional design of his own, made perfect in his image, with your very own purpose. He already and always knew what he wanted for you. It's our job as men to learn to hear God so we can figure out just what that is. It's important to know, you know, and maybe God doesn't want us to know what that purpose is right away. Maybe he doesn't want us to know what that end game is. I mean, think of how many things we do differently. Not at all. Maybe even totally backwards if we knew what the end game was. The things we had to do the things we had to go through, the feelings we had to feel, and the lessons we had to learn. Those were all in order to be ready for our purpose. So sometimes we get prepared in ways we don't want for things that we do want. Remember God, he prepares the called. He doesn't call the prepared. So there's a big difference there. He also has multiple purposes for our lives. You know, he didn't make Adam, leave him to tend the garden and say, that's a wrap, cut, print, film. That wasn't it. There was more to the story, right? Um, his purpose for Adam grew as Adam grew and his purpose for you will grow as you grow. And so maybe that's why we're going to focus so much on how do we grow? How do we get better? How do we achieve things that we know we need to achieve in our life so we can ultimately fulfill our purpose and enjoy and love our life with God's blessing on it. Guys with children, you'll know this. You want good things for your kids, right? You want glorious lives for your children that fulfill them, make them happy and, They succeed, they win. God wants that for you too. I don't think there's a dad out there who's like, yeah, I hope my son works at McDonald's forever. Free fries for life. It's just not realistic. I think we hope that they aspire to be whatever brings them joy, whatever's good, whatever brings them long-term happiness and closer to God. Whatever makes their hearts full. And he's the same way. That comes from somewhere. All good things, I believe, come from him. And that's definitely a good thing. He does expect us to do things though. He does have expectations and hopes for us that we will further the kingdom of heaven and further our pursuit of it. When I read Genesis, it's obvious that God also gave Adam a structure, a framework to operate within, a set of guidelines. Do this, don't do that. People with kids know how important this is. That's literally what operant conditioning is. Part of operant conditioning is understanding the framework and the rules in order to know how to navigate them successfully. It says Genesis 2.16. The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Or in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Simple. Eat this, don't eat that. When I read further, you can see God evolved Adam's purpose. He expanded it, like we talked about, as he grew, so did it. Creating animals from to have companionship with, so he could name them all. But that wasn't good enough. God wasn't finished in Adam's life. God's not done working in Adam's favor. It's like he's not finished with yours, and he's not done working in yours. He still has plans for you. You're still in his favor. Once he pursues you, he pursues you relentlessly forever. That's kind of the amazing thing about him. It's us that stops pursuing him. God saw no helper was comparable to him. And so he made woman. It says in Genesis 2.21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So interesting. You notice that pattern? He makes you, he puts you in a place, he gives you some purpose. You grow, so does your purpose. You operate within the framework, thus you do better, growing more, and your purpose grows. Now you're ready, you've done the work, God brings you the woman. You see how that works? And don't forget, he's preparing the called, so you're not a, never a finished product, you never will be. But it's important to recognize that he's gonna expect you to put in some footwork before it gives you what you want. So it says, God saw that man was alone and said in Genesis two eighteen, it is not good that man should be alone. So he made him a partner. So yes, there is somebody out there for you. God made you a partner. You might be in a vastly different journey or season than the person next to you, and comparison analysis is killing the fact that you're not on the same path. Stop looking in their lane, look in yours. He's got a plan for you. Just remember, a a mustard seed size amount of faith can move a mountain. Less than that can bring you the things that are on your heart, be they good and in line with his will. So if you're single, maybe God hasn't brought you that partner yet. Maybe he's still doing work in you to be ready. Maybe he's still expanding your purpose so that you can be a better leader. Just trust that he sees that it's not good. He's fixing it. He's got a plan. He's already had a plan for you the whole time. Maybe you're married. Maybe you've got a fiance. Maybe you're dating somebody who you're sure is the one or you hope is the one. This is different. Um, Keep in mind, God brought the woman to you. He brought you to the woman. There's going to be bad times. It's going to be good times. Um, I think as long as you do things the right way, there'll be a blessing and an anointing upon your life. And we'll talk later about how to vet and make sure about the second biggest decision of your life first being to follow God, and the second being choosing your partner. So we'll talk more about that later. Back to Adam. So again, God put him in a place, gave him a purpose, gave him a partner, and then only after he had all those things did he allow the enemy to test him, to attack him, to try to take away his purpose, enter the snake. You know, this part of the story always gets me, I'm genuinely like curious. How many dudes you walk in and your wife's sitting on the sectional couch and she's chatting with a snake? And you're like, oh, that's fine. Hey, what's in the fridge? Like, what? Your girl is chatting up snakes, bro. You're not going to do nothing about that. That's the definition of passivity. So, this is where we actually see the first case and the strongest case of Adam's passivity. I don't know about you guys, but that happens in my relationship. Number one, me and Katie are going to have a serious conversation about what to do and what not to do, but like that snake is getting its head kicked in and it's getting thrown outside so fast. The second you find yourself or your partner in these situations, people, places, conversations that turn you from God, or they kind of sound suspect, it's your duty to not be passive. It's your duty to say, honey, I love you, but we don't talk to snakes in our household. So I'm going to throw him out now and you're not going to do this again. Does so that make sense? I'm just saying this because I love you. Adam doesn't do this. As we know, he plays passive. Eve chats up the s- snake, eats the fruit, shares the fruit with Adam. They're both suddenly aware of their nakedness. They're full of shame. They're therefore full of bondage. And sin, ter- sin is born into the world with Adam as the father and Eve as the mother. No gender reveal party. No baby shower gifts. Just, hey, you're kicked out of Eden. Nice try. I always find this part super interesting. and It's been talked on by a lot of people in the same manner. So I have no interest in changing a good thing. Like everyone speaks to this relatively the same and I'm going to as well. God calls to Adam. He doesn't call to Eve. He doesn't call to the snake. He doesn't yell at the fruit tree. He called Adam. Why do you think that is? It's because he was supposed to be an active and present leader. He wasn't supposed to be passive. He wasn't supposed to let the enemy come in his house and chat with his family and sabotage their plans and say suspect things and question suspect things. He was supposed to be there for them. And he wasn't. So he's responsible. He was passive and he was a bad husband for letting his wife do whatever she wanted, regardless of how bad it was for her and how much it led her away from God. When you love somebody, you don't stop pursuing them and the things they love and the things they need and the things that are the best for them. Also, if he thought for a second that there was a possibility she could die and let her eat it, what was it with that? Like, imagine your spouse is, like, going to eat something that like one of your coworkers is like, oh, make sure you never eat this. I was in the jungle. It's poisonous. And then now your wife's trying to chomp down on it. Uh, would she, I'm going to slap that of their head and be like, hey, sorry, but that's poison. Don't do that. Right? Like, where's the, I'd be worried sick. So back to Adam. God calls him out because he's the leader. Leaders take blame and they give credit. And it was his turn to take blame for failing to lead his family. And um, he admits, he vests up to it, obviously. We know, we know the story. I'm not going to go into the details. But Adam was faced with the same choice that all of us men are faced with. To be active and worry about being judged. Or to be passive and let the enemy lead that which we are supposed to be leading. It's a very, very tough call. Especially in 2023, I'll tell you that. Um, it's going to get harder too. But that's why we've got to get harder. We've got to do better. And um, we've got to look inward and grow. Because challenges are growing. The problem always have to grow too. So like I said, he was faced with a choice to eat fruit from the tree of life. Or to eat fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this is the same choice we have to make every day. I think in order to not overburden you guys with too much at once, and because this is all very new to me, I think we're going to split the podcast up here. We'll break this down into two parts. This will be part one. Part two will follow the same exact material we're talking about. We'll pick up on the tree of life and the fruit it bears versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the fruit that it bears. Just remember this is a choice we got to make every day, multiple times a day. But we'll get into that in part two. Stay safe, guys. Much love and God bless. Thank you for listening.